Well, we've been talking about uh, in this series called In- Invisible World, and so <laughs> this uh, on Friday I was I was out doing some yard work, and uh, I uh, it was kind of the end of the day. I'd been working most of the day, and uh, I had a tank sprayer. You know what the tank sprayer is, right? And you put like Roundup or stuff like that. So I had filled up a uh, tank sprayer. Uh, with some uh, Roundup, I use the Walmart cheap version, the Eliminator, you know. Um, but it's concentrate form, so I'm poured it in my tank sprayer, and I'm about 10 feet from the uh, hose where I fill it up. You know, you put the concentrate in, you fill it up with water. And so I'm not going to put the top on because I'm just going to take it right off and uh, put water in it. Y'all see where I'm going with this, right? So as I'm walking across the lawn, I trip, I stepped on my cord or whatever, and I dumped the tank sprayer of Roundup Concentrate in the yard. All right, here's, here's the even worse news. It's not my yard. <laughs> and, and this guy that I'm doing this for is very particular about his yard. And so I know I've dumped about six ounces at least of this, you know, concentrate on his beautiful centipede lawn. And so I immediately run over and get the hose and start, you know, neutralizing. At least I'm trying to. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I, I did what I could, let the water run on it and spray it, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going to happen. So I'm using this as an example, y'all, because we've been talking about this invisible world, and we're talking about the spiritual, and sometimes people kind of roll their eyes and think, oh, that's kind of weird stuff. But in reality, there's things going on around us that we can't see, and so I know that there's some things going on in his lawn that he can't see. <laughs> and that I can't see it. I don't know what the results are going to be. So I had to call this guy, and I said, I had a little accident at your house today. And um, he was cool about it. He was like, oh, I thought you were going to tell me you, you, know, you destroyed a light or you did something to my driveway. I said, eh. I said, I just have no idea what's going to happen to your lawn at this point, and I'll, you know, I'll make it good. I'll put some more sod down, whatever. But it was just one of those things because I'm like, I really don't know what's going to happen because it's in there and it's been diluted, but did I dilute it so much that now it's going to be all over the whole yard? You know, y'all are, yeah, thanks, y'all are nodding your head. I appreciate that, yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, I, I just thought that was a perfect example of what we're talking about. We don't know. We know that chemical has these qualities to kill grass, but I don't know what's going on underground, you know. I don't know what's going to happen. So that kind of helps. So if you've been with us, you know that's what we've been talking about. If you're new today, we've been talking about an invisible world, a spiritual invisible world. And we've been looking at Ephesians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul in the first century is talking to a group of Christ followers, and he's basically saying, hey, you need to be aware that there is this invisible world all around us, a spiritual invisible world. And you think your, your struggle in life is against flesh and blood, against people, But it's not. It's against these invisible forces of power and authority all around us that are vying for our attention, that are vying for our heart and for our soul. And you need to be aware of it. And he tells us you need to stand firm. And he says this standing thing. You need to to take a position, not be wishy-washy, not be inconsistent, not just forget about it, but you need to take a stand and you need to put on the full armor of God. So we've been talking about that. And last week we specifically uh, talked about... uh, Uh, truth, the belt of truth, and today we're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. But before I do, I want to kind of tell you a few more things. Um, In 1884, uh, while a farmer was visiting the Cotton States Exposition in Louisiana, he brought back a few of these um, purple flowers called hyacinths. Do you know what those are? Hyacinths, those beautiful purple flowers. And he took it back to Florida to decorate the fountain outside his home in Florida. Well, today... 
innocent thing. I just want to decorate you know, the fountain outside my home. Today, the aggressive purple flowers choke out more than 126,000 acres of waterway. That's amazing, isn't it? Here's one you can relate with in Georgia. You may have heard this before. So in 1876, to prevent erosion, somebody decided to bring this Japanese vine in to stop erosion. It's worked pretty well, hasn't it? Y'all, go ahead, say what it is. Kudzu, exactly. And now in the southern part of the United States, it is expanding, expanding, y'all, at a rate of 150,000 acres a year. It's amazing. So I'm just going to put this little plant in my yard and keep erosion away, and who knew what was going to happen? In a European rabbit, I didn't really understand that there were European rabbits and American rabbits. I just thought they were rabbits, but... Anyway, introduced in Australia in 1859, has now reached a population of 200 million, necessitating the construction of a 2,000-mile-long rabbit-proof fence. I'm not making this up, y'all. To prevent the wholesale destruction of farmlands. Who knew when you brought that European rabbit over? I mean, you should have known. We've all heard about the rabbits, right? You know? But there's things that we do in life that we don't really realize, and behind the scenes, things, again, that are invisible to us that are happening, they happen. Even though we may deny it, we may be in denial about it, we may not, we say, I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it happens. And so that's what we've been talking about. And again, Apostle Paul saying, hey, there's a real spiritual world. I know about it. I believe in it. And I'm telling you as Christ followers, he's talking to a group at this place called Ephesus, but today... 2,000 or so years later here this morning in noon, and he's saying, it's true for you too. There's this invisible world that you need to be aware of, you need to know, and you need to put on God's armor. And he says it's this struggle. He talks it like a wrestling match. And as I told you the last couple of weeks, it's this power of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God's character that lives in us, wanting to act in us and allowing God to meet our needs or... The wrestling match is again another part of us called what we call the flesh. And we hear this in Scripture all the time, the fleshly part of us. That's our own self-centered human character that wants to live out and act in us. Trying to get our needs met, not with God, but apart from Him. I don't need God, I can do this on my own. That's the fleshly weight of us, and we all have this. But in order for us to overcome this struggle and live out of the power of the Holy Spirit, which is God's character living in us, He says you've got to put on... God's character, and that's putting on the full armor of God. Now, I mentioned, I just said it a minute ago, and I've said it the last two weeks, there are people that are skeptical of this when we're talking about this invisible world and the devil and, and putting on armor and all these kind of things, evil authorities and powers around us. And, and again, I go back to what I said a few weeks ago, but we watch TV shows, we watch movies about all these kind of things, and we're fascinated with that and think that's so cool. But when you start talking about our personal spiritual life, we kind of go, oh, well, that stuff's not real. But we like it and we're interested in it. And Paul is saying it is real. But the devil wants us to think it's not a big deal. It's not real. He wants us to be skeptical of us. Because when we're skeptical of it, then we don't really believe it's happening. And he's there waiting to inflict wounds on us and to kill, steal, and destroy. As Jesus said, that is what he's trying to do. And as I point out, there are all kinds of invisible things around us that certainly affect us. And we talked a, a little bit about bacteria and diseases and those kind of things. And those are real. And vaccines that people develop to combat those. And we can't see what's going on, but certainly that stuff is real. And it's true in the spiritual realm as well. 
Ronald Rollheiser, in his book called The Holy Longing, The Search for a Christian Spirituality, says this in his book, Spirituality is not something on the fringes, an option for those who have a particular bent. None of us has a choice. Everyone has to have, have a spirituality, and everyone does have one. Either it's a life-giving spirituality, or it's a destructive one. Think about that for a minute. We might think, oh, well, spiritual, that's, just a, that's a particular person that wants to be spiritual, that wants to spend time on those things. But no, he's saying everybody has been made with a spiritual nature to us. God created us in that way, and it's a reality. And either you have a life-giving one where you're connected with the Holy Spirit, or you have a destructive one when you're saying, I'm going to do this all on my own through your fleshly nature. So which is yours this morning? Is it a life-giving spirituality, or is it a destructive one? You say, well, that's not that simple. Well, I believe it is, and that's why Paul's saying you either have the Holy Spirit in it to allow you to put on God's armor and He'll help you, or you're just going to go it on your own. It's one of those two things. And a lot of times when we read the Bible, things do become pretty clear, and sometimes we don't like it to be real this or that, do we? We like to have choices because then it kind of drags things out. But he's saying, no, it is this. So last week we started looking at this putting on the armor, and I told you that, that I thought it was interesting that God said that Paul said the first thing God wants us to put on is the belt of truth, and we talked about how important truth is, especially in our world where there's so much relativism. And we talked a little bit about even in the news all the time we hear about things where the truth matters. And a lot of times we think, well, the truth only matters if it affects me where I am right now. But no, the truth matters always, and we looked at that. And that's why I think he said at the very core of who we are, we have to buckle this belt of truth around us and recognize that God's truth, that's who He is. His character, God is truth. And truth is exclusive. And we need to always be aware of what the truth is in every situation, and it always matters. So the next piece of... Um, armor he tells us to put on is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the children's ministry at our church brought me some of those little uh, armor things, and I was going to try to put that on this morning, but it was so small and it would have looked ridiculous on me, so I didn't bring it out. I probably should have had a real uh, soldier up here or like a mannequin with a soldier. But y'all know what a breastplate is. You've seen like on a Roman soldier. And soldiers wore this, and it, you know, it was kind of about the waist, maybe a little below, but it would go around your neck, go around your shoulders. There's a back piece and there's a front piece. And you know, even if you don't have six-pack abs, they made them with the abs already in them. You ever seen those? You know, some of the Halloween costumes they have them. So this would protect a soldier in his front and in his back because even though he had a shield and even though he had a sword in the other hand, he's blocking something. If they're in battle and there's people all around about him, what, what could happen? Somebody from behind, somebody that he's not even battling at the time just because in war that could happen. Somebody could stick him with a sword or a spear or an arrow. And so he, they wore this to kind of protect those areas where they weren't able to get the shield or the sword up. And we all understand why you would need that. But it's protecting a certain area. So what's in this area that needs protecting? You can say it. Vital organs, that's exactly right. But when we think of vital organs, what's the one that always pops to our eye most of the time? Our heart, isn't that true? Now, it's interesting. What do we call this? And we probably learned this in science class. If any of y'all are nurses or in the medical field or in anatomy class, what do we call this part of the body? The torso or the thorax. You ever heard that? You know, well, that's, that's in that. I, when I heard that, I was like, thorax, isn't that like when you're studying insects? You know, does anybody else think that? Okay, yeah, I wasn't paying attention in science that day either. That's why I became a preacher. So anyway, um, so the thorax. But interestingly enough, the word in Greek 
for breastplate is called, believe it or not, thorax. Isn't that amazing? Okay, so they understood what that was. It was to protect these vital organs. So we can understand that. And Romans, they said they were made um, out of iron, so they were pretty heavy. You know, we got the plastic ones, you know, and I noticed on that little kid's one it says, this is not a protective device. Oh, thank you very much. You know, I needed to know that. I was going to wear it out. Hopefully I would be okay. But, uh, and made in China, of course. But anyway, so they said that these were made of iron, so they were pretty heavy. And they actually would sit on their hips to help carry some of them. And there was even these things that went over their shoulders to protect them. And then some uh, of the soldiers who were maybe a little more wealthy actually had theirs made out of bronze. So you can imagine that would help stop a sword, that would help stop an arrow, or, or whatever was coming at them. Now, I'm sure sometimes they got penetrated, but that's what they wore, and I'm sure it was heavy, but it was to protect those vital organs. Now, it's interesting that we all said, that we all said, when we think of the most vital organ, we think of our heart. Because we think of a heart as obviously pumping blood through our whole system, right? We understand that. But we also think of our heart meaning something more than that, don't we? We think of our heart, it means that's what I feel. That's, what I, that's how I feel. That's, that's a part of it. It's a very personal part of me. The, uh, the deepest part of me. It's where my emotions are. It's where my feelings are. When we say things like a, a broken heart, we don't mean somebody needs a bypass surgery, do we? No, we mean their feelings, their emotions, the inner part of themselves is hurting. So it's interesting. We understand protecting your vital organs physically, but spiritually, God's saying, you need to have the breastplate of righteousness to protect your vital organs, your heart, where your emotions are, where you feel, and where your longings are. Those are so personal. If we want to protect them, we have to put on God's breastplate of righteousness. Otherwise, we can be wounded. And we also know that what happens when our, when our heart is protected when it's highly valued, when it's encouraged, then we understand and we know that our thinking, our joy, and our attitude are very positive. But when our heart is hurt, what happens to our thinking and our outlook on life? It can become negative. It can be hurt. So he says, protect that. I want to read from Proverbs. And this is why I love the Bible, because from Old Testament, hundreds of years in between, even thousands of years, but it all lines up, and that's the way God was doing it from the very beginning, to make it line up. So in Proverbs, the writer says this. I'm going to read from verses 18 to 23. I think it, yeah, it's going to be on the, on the screen as well, or you can look at it in your Bible or, or personal advice. But he says, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are like life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. And listen to this. This is such an important verse. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And notice he didn't say guard your heart because all of your blood flows from it. That would be right from an anatomy standpoint or a physical standpoint. But he says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from your heart. And again, there's that picture of, this is where my emotions are. This is where my feelings are, deep in the core of who I am. So he's saying, protect and guard your heart. It's consistent. Our hearts need to be guarded. It says it in the Old Testament. It says it in the New. But it's important to see here that this breastplate of righteousness that helps guard our heart is not a righteousness of our own. Because if I could attain a righteousness of my own, if you could obtain a righteousness by doing good things on your own, do we really need God's protection? 
No, because I can do it on my own. But we do need God's protection. It's called grace. I need it. I need to understand that. And not only do I need God's protection, I need other people in my life that God's given me to help me when my heart is hurting. I need that. And if we rely on our own personal righteousness, then we become arrogant. We become self-sufficient. Or we become what is a sin that we see consistently in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, and that's called self-righteousness. Y'all never know anybody self-righteous? I'm sure you can point out someone else, right? We can do that in a heartbeat, but have you ever caught yourself being self-righteous? You catch yourself, and you go, ooh, man, that came across kind of self-righteous. That's not what we're talking about here. We're saying a righteousness that comes from God, not of ourselves, but we know it. And we know what righteousness is because of God. God is the creator of righteousness. He is the example. He is the defender of righteousness. And again, we see this throughout the Scriptures. I want to read a couple more Proverbs. It's not going to be on the screen, but I'm just going to read them. Proverbs 13, 6. Righteousness guards the person of integrity, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Proverbs 15.9, The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but He loves those who pursue righteousness. And I think that's what God and what Paul said. We need to pursue righteousness, but when we put on God's armor, it's there for us. It's there for us. And that song that um, Nina just sang, it's a powerful song because it says, you know, all these thoughts in my mind saying, I'm not good enough, I don't measure up. But when I put on the righteousness of God, He says, you are righteous because of whose you are, not because of what you've done. And we need to be reminded of that constantly. Do you see why we have to, this is something we must pursue constantly. It's not something we just get naturally, because I want to live in the flesh, y'all. I want to do what's best for me always. Satan is constantly scheming to get us to do that. Think about you. Do what's best for you. Only display the character of you and your thinking. That's why you have that personality. And I believe that God has given all of us a unique personality. And I'm thankful for those unique personalities. It makes the world what a, what a neat place it is. But in those unique personalities, we still are supposed to be the unique person that God's created us to be in righteousness. And that is certainly possible. And the writer of Proverbs here is saying that we must pursue righteousness. And I think that's what Paul is saying to us as well. Jesus said it best in Matthew 6.33. He goes, look, people are all over the world pursuing things. And you can see it. And, and y'all can too. We get on our phones, we can see. You go on Facebook and you know, 30 minutes later, you go, what did I just watch all these videos of other people pursuing things while I'm sitting here with my phone? And it's, it's a reality. But Jesus says, look, everybody's going after these things. They worry about all these things. They're trying to pursue all these different things. But he said, seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and... Your righteousness, not my righteousness. Well, whose righteousness? His righteousness. And all these things that you think you want, they'll be given to you. The things that really matter in life, they'll be given to you when you pursue first His kingdom and His righteousness. And Jesus certainly did that. And He knows that we're pursuing things in life and that Satan is trying to get us to pursue other things that have the, uh, the, um, uh, the appearance of of true contentment, the appearance of happiness, but in the end they leave us empty and wanting more. That is why you need to guard your heart and put on this breastplate of righteousness. This is why we have to seek God's righteousness first. And we've got to ask our questions, these questions in our life. Am I guarding my heart? So I want you to think about that this morning. Are you really guarding your heart? And I want, I want the young people, and again, I know I've been picking on you middle schoolers and high schoolers lately, but I've just been thinking about you because I have middle schoolers and high schoolers in my house. Are you guarding your heart? 
Do you really even know what that means? Because when I say God wants you to be righteous, how many teenagers want to go, yeah, I'm righteous? That doesn't sound cool, does it? Being righteous. That sounds kind of like, oh, that's kind of, you know, you don't want to be like that, you know. I don't want to be righteous. That just doesn't sound good. But are you guarding your heart? Are you guarding your heart in your relationships? This person that I'm a friend with, and this goes for everybody, but I, but I thought about young people specifically. Are you guarding your heart? Are the people that I'm in relationship, are they making me feel good about who God has created to me, made me to be? How about in social media? How about in what we look at on the internet? Are we guarding our hearts? You say, well, how can something on this phone do something to damage my heart? Happens every single day. People's hearts get hurt. Have you heard of these people? There's a show out. Y'all may have seen it. It's called um, Catfish. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's, it's unbelievable. It's about people who have pursued a relationship on the internet and it's not real. Somebody has been lying to them the whole time and they finally get a chance to meet this person. They, I mean, it's pitiful. It absolutely is pitiful. But I bring that up to say, we think, and I'm going, how would these people let this happen? Because they weren't guarding their hearts. They weren't guarding their hearts. They wanted love and there's nothing wrong with wanting love. There's nothing wrong with wanting relationships. But when it's not real and they were pursuing something that was fake on the internet, what did you think you were going to get? I know I'm so compassionate I could never host the show. But it's because they didn't guard their hearts. And so I'm saying, the music we listen to, you have to guard your hearts and the music you listen to. You have to guard your hearts and the things that you look at. And especially for men, I'm telling you, men, you know, that's why so so many men get caught up in pornography because we see those images and we think, and all it is is going to make us have this more insatiable desire of something that's not really real. But we think it is. And it just gets, people just go down this, this spiral out of control with that. Because it's just an image. It's not going to hurt me. But those images stay with you. Those thoughts stay with you. And that's why he's saying you've got to guard your heart and you put on God's righteousness to protect you from that. And we've been warned. We think, well, I can just take this off. It's not a big deal. I'm in my room by myself. No one's going to know. I can protect myself from this stuff. But it's not true. It still has consequences. In 1862, in one of the famous battles of the Civil War called the Battle of Antietam, this was one of the longest battles in, in all of the Civil War, one of the bloodiest as well. It lasted all, all day, 12 hours. And it ranks, like I said, as one of the bloodiest in the Civil War. I think on the Confederate side there were 10,000 casualties at least and probably even more on the Union side. But what happened in that battle, it was really no one really won. But can you imagine at the end of the day, 20 or more thousand people dead after fighting all day long, and then really nothing necessarily happened. Though it was militarily a draw, um, what some considered a mediocre general, and General, general George McClellan was able to somehow end the brilliant Robert E. Lee's thrust into Maryland. That's what they were trying to do. They were trying to get into Maryland, and he was not able to do that, and they had to retri- retire across the Potomac. And people were going, how did that happen? Robert E. Lee is this brilliant general, and McClellan, I mean, you know, he was there, but nobody really thought he had the smarts. Well, they found out after the battle that two of his men, right before the battle, had somehow obtained General Lee's plan for that battle 
We don't know how they got it. Somehow, maybe off another soldier that they killed in another battle. But they knew exactly what Robert E. Lee was going to do, which is even more amazing because there still was a battle. And that's why they were able to force him to not be able to get into Maryland. And in some respects, we think about that in the spiritual world. How are we possibly going to stand up against Satan's battles? Because, you know, God knows us, but Satan knows us too. He knows our weaknesses. He knows the things that push our buttons. He knows the things that we have interest in. He knows our fleshly patterns, doesn't he? He knows if I can just get Craig upset about this, then he'll do this. If I can just get whoever it is, you, if he can get you upset about this certain thing, then he knows he can get you in those fleshly patterns and you'll start doing those things. And not acting out of the character of God, but acting in your character. And it will destroy relationships. It will mess up things. And he knows that. And if we know Satan has that kind of power, that's kind of scary, isn't it? It bothers me. But we also know that we have obtained, Paul is telling us here, the Proverbs writer is telling us here, guard your heart. And God has given you the power to guard your heart. And we have to believe, like that song that Nina sang. I believe. I'm not going to believe those lies. I know what Satan's trying to do. He's trying to tell me I'm not good enough. I will not measure up. I'm not worth God's love. I'm not worth anybody's love. And we start to believe those lies. I caught myself last night. I was playing basketball in the, in the driveway with my son. And I caught myself getting angry at him because he took a couple of shots and he says, lower the goal back down to eight feet. And I said, no. I can't hit it. I said, don't you say that. You can hit it. I said, this year you're going to the next age group and it's not going to be eight foot anymore. It's going to be nine foot. We're not going back. And you were the one that told me to hire it to nine feet a couple of weeks ago. But I found myself getting angry at my son because he wanted to just give up and not believe that he could do something greater than he could do. And I believe that's what happens in our lives sometimes in this invisible world. Righteousness, by definition, we think about integrity. We think of virtue and purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. And all of that is true. But guess what, y'all? None of us can do that on our own. I can't do that. I can want to act right. I can want to think right. I can want to do right. But ultimately, if I don't have the righteousness of God right here where my vital heart organ is, I'm not going to be able to do that. I need Him to remind me of what that is. But in a broad sense... Righteousness is the state of humans as we ought to be, as God created us to be. That's righteousness. And, and as Kevin was talking this morning, he was talking about Abraham. It said he obeyed God. He had faith in God. He went where God told him to go, even though he didn't know what was going to happen. And God credited him as what? Righteousness. I don't know God, but you know what? I'm scared. But at my heart, I know you're God. You are the Creator. You love me, and I'm going to go where you tell me. I don't know what's going to happen. And did Abraham make some mistakes? Did he go on his fleshly way sometimes? Absolutely he did. But in the end, he finally said, I need God to guide me. And that's what we need. In a broad sense, the state of humans as we ought to be, as we were created to be, that's righteousness. That is what Christ died for us to be, righteous. And that righteousness, the condition of being acceptable to God, is something that we have not earned, but has been given to us through the grace of God. And that's now how God sees us. I don't care what you did yesterday. I don't care what you messed up. However you, like, you're going, oh man, I messed up bad this week. You know, that's spilling the, the Roundup Craig, nothing compared to what I did. But you know what? God sees you as righteous right now through Christ. He looks at you through that lens. 
as we ought to be, as we ought to be created. And it's not something we've earned, it's something that we've been given. And when we say, I accept you, when I put my faith in Christ, when I say, I'm going to put on that breastplate of righteousness in my heart, then that's what God's going to do. He's going to say, now you are righteous. Not because of what you've done, but because of who I am. I so desperately want to still be in relationship with you. That's how much I love you. Righteous as we ought to be and we're created to be. So maybe this morning, you need to start a new path on becoming the righteousness that God has created you to be. And maybe there's been people in your life and there's been things in your life where people have said, you're not enough, you'll never be enough, but you need to believe that the God who created you has great plans for you. He intends great things for you. And you can only understand those things when you get connected to Him. And so this morning we're going to offer that opportunity. Maybe you're here today and you're listening to what I'm saying. You're listening about this invisible world. And you're saying, you know what? I do hear those things. I do hear those lies. And I want to hear the truth of God. But the reality is, is as we get ready to go into a time of communion, and, and we're going to stand and sing a song here in just a minute with Kevin. Um, but if you have that uh, sense that you want to start following Jesus today, I'll walk you through that process. We'd love to have you come forward and talk to you. Maybe after the service, talk to somebody about that. Maybe you're looking for a church and we are trying to say, we want to be the righteousness of God. Together, we recognize we can't do it alone. We need God and we need each other. That's the beauty of the church, working together to be who God's called us to be. But we're also going to go into a time of communion. And in this time of communion, we recognize how much Jesus really thought of us how much He loved us. He knew every single thing about us and He still went to that cross. Does that not blow your mind? He knows all the ugly part of me and He still went to that cross. He knows all that ugly part of you and He still went to that cross. And so we're going to take a time in a little bit um, to take communion, to remember that Jesus went to that cross for us. And He asked us to never forget that. He wanted us to know that you don't have to try to earn it. There's no way you can. But my death and my resurrection puts you back righteous as God always created you to be and always intended you to be. And we're going to celebrate that together by taking a little piece of bread that reminds us of Jesus' body and a little cup of juice that reminds us of Jesus' blood that was shed for us. And if you're not a member here, that's okay. If you're a guest here today and you want to be a part of that and remember what Jesus did for you, we invite you to be a part of that. So we're going to sing a song in a little bit. Uh, one of our elders is going to come and have a prayer for our communion. But before we do that, we're going to sing. But if you have a decision today to maybe name Christ as your Lord and Savior, we ask you to come forward as we stand and sing. Kevin.